Turn your Bible to Zephaniah, please. The book of Zephaniah. Now this is an, a little book in the Old Testament. I guess it's not often preached from. I don't know when I've ever heard in a Bible conference or revival anybody preach from Zephaniah. But Zephaniah is one of the power-packed Old Testament brief books. In the book of the scriptures of the Old Testament, there is the law, the history, the poetry, and the prophets. That's from Genesis to Malachi. The prophets are divided into two sections. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the minor prophets. Minor prophets beginning with Hosea and going through Malachi. Now they're not called minor because their message is minor, but because the volume of their book is minor. Very, very small. small. We mentioned last Sunday night that Obadiah, one of the shortest books in the Bible, yet a strong indictment against the people who stood on the other side, the sin of standing on the other side. Zephaniah preached about 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem. He was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah, who was a good king. He was somewhat related to the royalty, at least in his preaching and in his relationships. He preached under the ministry, under the kingship or royalty of Josiah. And Josiah was strongly influenced by Zephaniah. It was Josiah that led a brief reformation, which is sometimes called a revival, and God's people were spared the Babylonian invasion. Perhaps Zephaniah's preaching, along with others. Zephaniah preached, the day of the Lord is at hand. And he mentioned the day of the Lord is not going to be a day of grace and glory and joy. The word, the term day of the Lord is used in two different senses in the scripture. One, we look forward to the day of the Lord when Christ will come. That's called a day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is not necessarily one day or a 24-hour period or a one-hour period. It is a period of time. The day of the Lord that the believers look forward to is the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ divided by about seven years of tribulation. The tribulation period is called the day of the Lord also. That whole section of, the, of, of God's dealing with man is called the day of the Lord. As we mentioned the other day in this, in this preaching, the day of the Lord is a, that term, the day of the Lord, is a symbol of God doing something unusual, something great. In all of our lives, we've had a special day of the Lord when God blessed. When Chris and Freda got saved in August of 1989, that was a day of the Lord. It made their lives different. And Cammie Joe and those two boys 
have a daddy and mother that love God and are at church every time they possibly can be. That's the day of the Lord. The day that I got saved was the day of the Lord. The choir sang this morning, there's a great day coming, a great day coming, and that great day is the day of the Lord. It's the day when the saints and the sinners will be divided right from left. Now Zephaniah warns of this day of the Lord. We brought that message the other night, the terrible day of the Lord and the judgment that is coming. But Zephaniah gives a little brief hope. And we mentioned this Wednesday night in chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you'll notice those brief verses, gather yourselves together. Yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass like the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek the Lord all ye meek of the earth, and have kept his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. You think of that. Now what he's saying is, the day of the Lord is coming, but you and I have something we can do related to the day of the Lord. We don't have to let it come on us unexpected. We don't have to sit down and twiddle our thumbs and do nothing. He is saying there's a little hope. And the message tonight is a, a brief message. And the title of it is The Family Altar or The Judgment of God. And you and I hold the answer in our own hands, in our own schedules, in our own lives. The day of the Lord is coming. There's a certainty of that. It's going to be a day of darkness, a day of difficulty, a day of judgment. What happened on September the 11th is just a little prelude to the tyranny of the day of the Lord. It is described in the book of Revelation from chapters 6 through 18, and the awful destruction that will come upon this earth because they have rejected Jesus. They've said no to God's only remedy for sin. And the day of the Lord spoken of in, in this passage, Zephaniah is holding up the day when Babylon will come in and invade Jerusalem and surround Jerusalem. And that happened. And for two years they surrounded Jerusalem. And the people inside began to starve. All so supplies were cut off. And they began to eat their own little children. You say the Jews did that? That's what happened in Jerusalem. Read the story of it. It was a day of the Lord. Zephaniah warned about it 40 years ahead of time. Jeremiah preached for 40 years the same message. They didn't listen. They didn't pay any attention. One time Jeremiah got so discouraged, he said, I'm just going to quit. God called me to preach, and Lord, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Nobody will listen. Nobody. They put me in jail. They put me in prison. They turn against me. They say ugly things about me because I warned them. And Jeremiah stood in a place near where Jesus died on the cross, 
It's called Jeremiah's Grotto outside the city of Jerusalem. And there he prayed and he cried and he pled, but the people wouldn't listen. Sephardiah is doing the same thing and it's possible they listened for a little while because there was a little revival under Josiah that lasted a little while, but then the people got careless and forgot. When September 11th occurred, there seemed to be a spirit of revival in America. Our national leaders met in the Washington Cathedral. I was alarmed and still am when official Washington, I guess they had to do this to be politically correct, had Muslims come and lead in prayer and say how they're a nation of peace and so on. No nation on this earth that has a Muslim government has freedom of religion, not one, not one. Allah and the Lord Jehovah are not the same. The Lord Jehovah would never tell Christians to go kill the Jews and the Muslims and the others. But their book of Koran says you go kill the Christians and the Jews, get rid of them. They call, they're, they're called in the press fundamentalists or extremists. That's what their book teaches. And I want to give this, it's not part of the sermon, but it's just a little thought. You and I who believe the Bible, who believe in the blood atonement of Christ, the sacrificial, vicarious death of Jesus on the cross, we're being accused of being fundamentalists. And I heard a radio announcer say, those fundamental Christians would do the same thing that the fundamental Islam are doing if they were given a chance. That's what we're thought of. Well, I want to guarantee you, fundamental Christians wouldn't do that. Fundamental Christians love the Lord. But I want to say, in this passage, there's a warning about the day of the Lord. But there's also a little reprieve. And it says, seek the Lord. Gather together. Do something to stop the tyranny. And I want to submit to you tonight, the answer is the family altar. It begins in our homes. It begins with you and me. We cannot ignore God at home and expect our children to be equipped to face all the problems they face today. I was reading the story of a man who said the most blessed memories he has are the memories of being called to breakfast every morning and knowing that that was also being called to family altar. Because every morning when they met for breakfast, they read the Bible, they talked about it a few minutes and prayed, and then they ate. That family prayed together and stayed together. So many times today we're in a big hurry. We rush off in all directions at one time. We're confused and we fail to give time to the Word of God and prayer at home. It is essential that we do that. Seth and I preached just before the fall of Jerusalem. Great, great grandson of Hezekiah, good man. His message, judgment is coming. Idolatrous worship will be punished. You have a form of godliness, but you're denying the power thereof. Compromise is condemned. It is late, 
but it is not too late. That's what Zephaniah's message. Note, repent or perish over in the book of Amos. Amos has somewhat the same message when he says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountains of Samaria, who are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Pass to Kalna and see. From there go to Hamath and the great. Then go to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Or their border greater than your border? Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the harp and invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. But they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. We're living in a time like that. Even the people of God are so confused with the things of the world that the church has become very worldly and the world has become a little bit churchy and most people can't tell which is which. So I want to place on our hearts tonight the importance of having Bible and prayer at home and doing something in our homes that will stop the tide of wickedness that comes upon us without warning. I read about a dam that was holding back water. There was a valley down in the, in the, in, beyond that dam, and that valley, in that valley were all kinds of homes and churches and so on, and this dam held the water back. It had been placed there for electrical power and so on. And one man going along the dam noticed a little break in the dam and the water was trickling down. He went down into the village and went to house after house after house and said, there's a little crack in the dam. It may be that that water's going to break through and we'll all perish. Let me encourage you to evacuate this valley. Get out of it. They thought he was crazy. They said, you're just a madman. That dam's been there for years and years and years and years. And our houses have been here and we've been safe. That crack got a little bit bigger. Water began to come down and people noticed water in their streets. They still thought that's nothing. And all of a sudden, one day, there was a big crash. And the dam broke. And the water came down and flooded the houses and the churches and the, and the city. And many perished because they would not listen to that man who gave a warning. Zephaniah is giving a warning. He's warning us in the 21st century. He's warning us to do something about the tyranny of sin that's going on in the world. Now, you may not be able to go out and, uh, and stop the floods of sin, but we can start in our homes. We can start in our homes. Our nation is no stronger than our homes. The divorce rate in America is higher than any place in the world. And we have a church on every corner. 
One of the tragedies, and please listen, I, I hope I can be through quickly tonight, but this is, there's a lot on my heart. One of the tragedies of our day is the pulpit. Please listen. When I'm gone, you'd probably like to get a preacher that won't preach like I do. You say everything's fine. That's what's happening across our world. And listen, one of the reasons we had to have such a revolutionary occurrence in the Southern Baptist Convention is because pulpits were being silent on sin and were explaining away the miracles and were following the JEPD theory of the book of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they were saying, God didn't really mean all of those things. You can't take them literally. They're not real warnings. And so confidence in the Scripture went to a low ebb. And Judge Pressler and Paige Patterson discovered how to deal with this. And in 1979, they began a resurgence of Bible-believing men who would take a stand in our convention. A lot of people didn't like it. Our Western Recorder still doesn't like it. Kentucky Baptist Convention is liberal, doesn't like it at all. And through these years, year after year after year, churches like this have sent messengers to the convention. And every year, conservative men have been elected. They in turn appointed conservative committees who in turn appointed conservative trustees so that today all of our seminaries are in the hands of conservative presidents and faculty so that there's a resurgence for a while, a revival of Bible belief. Pray that it'll continue, but the price is eternal vigilance. And we're being warned that there's a day of the Lord coming. But he's saying in Zephaniah chapter 2, there's a little retrieve. There's a little opportunity. The doors open a little bit. If you'll seek the Lord, if you'll change some things in your homes, if you'll change some things in your lives, God may change things. Well, where does all this begin? It begins in the home. Proverbs 22, 6, it was read a little while ago. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Maintain daily family worship. Tomorrow, the child you are training today will look back and remember the happy hours spent around the family Bible. Bill Compton is a dear friend. I love him. He was mentioning some building blocks for the family altar. He mentioned comp uh, compa compare compassion, faithfulness, and uh, the out-and-out -out life for Christ in a Christian home. Listen to this. The Bible tells us, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart. Of infinite value is the spiritual leadership which can only be found in the Christian home. One of the best ways to start training up a child is for the home to maintain daily family worship. The foundations of our lives are laid in our homes. Many of our dearest experiences center there. 
Tomorrow the child you're training will look back with joy at your discipline and your Bible reading. I read about the story of a man who didn't believe that he ought to train his children. He didn't think they ought to send them to Sunday school, not to church. Just let them grow up, and when they get old, and they get old enough, they'll decide for themselves what to do. So this friend went to visit another man, and as he got ready to leave, he said to the man, this is the man that believed you shouldn't train up a child and shouldn't influence what he believes and so on. He said, I forgot to look at your flower garden. And his friend said, well, he said, I decided not to do anything. Wait till October and let the ground and the garden decide whether they're going to be flowers or weeds. He got the message. Ladies and gentlemen, it is contingent upon parents, moms and dads, to train up the child in the way he should go. That's God's plan, God's will. And the way to stem the tide of wickedness is to give your children to the Lord. I mentioned the other night one of our men that brought his little baby to the altar and gave him to Jesus years and years ago. That man is a deacon in our church today. He was given to the Lord. And that father saw to it that he stayed in church. Moms and dads, you do not have the luxury of letting your children decide whether they go or don't go. I don't mean to be too personal. Some of you face the problem of a mate not looking at things like you do spiritually. I don't think my dad would mind my mentioning this. I love him, honoring him. Good man. Worked hard all of his life. Went out on the railroad all hours of the night and day in all kinds of weather. But he didn't love the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. My mother tried to teach Sunday school. He kept her from doing it. He would tell the kids, you can't go to church. At first, I argued with him. After I got saved, I thought I ought to go to church. And I'd argue with him. And then one day, the Lord, I was praying about it. And listen, don't say kids can't pray. They can. They know what's going on. And I prayed, and the Lord said, Richard, you just get ready. Get your Bible in your hand. Go down and sit in the front room on a chair. And uh, when your dad comes in, uh, he'll say, why are you dressed like that? all happened just like the Lord told me so I went in and sat down he came and said why are you dressed like that I said I want to go to church but if you don't think I should go I won't go he went off in the other room somewhere after a while he came back he said go on to church see he wanted to know if I was going to obey him honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee now my dad later changed as far as I know, Brother Clyde Gordon is the only one who ever heard my dad say, I trust Jesus as my Savior. He left us in 1970 and went on to the other world. I only use that illustration to say some of you are passing through troubled waters. Your home is not together on spiritual things. My mother kept on gathering us around the piano and we'd sing. Some of the most precious memories I have of those 
those early years in our little house. The piano that my mother had is downstairs. She had it for over 70 years. And she'd play those old songs and we'd sing about Jesus. And after a while, Dad would come in and he'd learn some of those songs when he was a little boy. He'd sing them too. But he still didn't want us involved in church. I'm telling you, somebody in the home has to be a spiritual leader. Somebody has to say, I'm going to stem the tide of wickedness. And you can do it. God will bless you. And God will honor you. And I want to tell you this. I didn't mean for this to be a biography tonight, but my mother taught us to honor our father. She didn't speak against him. If we'd ask, why does he feel like this? She'd say, well, he doesn't know the Lord like you do. Very nice. Some of you knew my mother, one of the most godly women that ever walked this earth. Moms, if your husband doesn't see it like you do spiritually, you can still guide your children in the ways of the Lord. Husband, if your wife doesn't see it like you do spiritually, you can still be a stalwart. You can still stand for God. But praise the Lord when a husband and wife are together in it and they decide they're going to have Bible reading and prayer in the homes. Jesus said, Suffer the children to come to me and forbid them not. In Ephesians 6, 4, the spotlight is on the daddy. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The reading of the Bible in the family circle with a discussion of the passage read will not only make the teachings clear on the level of the children, but should be used to advise and counsel in terms of their daily experiences. Reading the Bible, singing. I feel bad for people who didn't sing at home. You say, well, I couldn't carry a tune. The main difference between carry a tune, not sing anyway. Sing. Get your family together and sing. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins. You want to know why I know the songs? I, I'm glad we have song books. And it's, if any, we, whoever come to putting screens up there so you can see the words, that's all right. That's all right. You want to do that. But I'd rather you memorize the songs. And if we sing them enough, you'll know them. Sing them at home. Gather your kids together and sing at home. Have church at home. <laughs> I think that's what we did, and I, I, don't, I don't remember my mother ever pushing me to do this, but I remember when I was a little boy, I went to church and heard Dr. Gibson preach, and I'd go home and gather all the chairs together and say, now, Bob and Roger and Gene, Leith, you all sit down here. Mom, come on in. Dad, come in if you will, and I want to preach to you. I was only seven or eight years old. Wasn't even saved yet. And you know they all cooperated. <laughs> I'm just telling you to stem the tide of wickedness. Have Bible and prayer in your homes. This is a building 
block for later life. This will encourage your husband, your wife. It will encourage your children. You don't have to come to church to, to have church. I believe everybody ought to be at church every time the door opens. You know I think that. But sometimes the door isn't open. You ought to have church at home. Get your folks together and sing. You say, well, they won't like that. I don't know how many of you ever came from a home where you didn't decide whether you were going to church or not. You just went. Wasn't up for grabs. I, I don't know all about Charlie and Norma Bartman. They've been in our church a long, long time. Seems like a hundred years. But they have two children that are serving the Lord today. And when they were here, they were faithful all the way through. And today they're on the staff down at Tennessee Temple University. Each of them has a mate that loves the Lord just like they do. I'm not trying to hold up anybody. I just want to tell you, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, work at it. Pray at it. God will bless you as you do that. I lived with my grandmother for a while in Louisville, in Newcastle. Her beautiful old home is torn down now. Lived across the Meth from the Methodist Church. And she was a godly Christian. I remember on Saturday, she'd go out and gather some flowers, wild flowers. She couldn't afford to go to the florist. She'd gather wild flowers and take them over to the church so they'd be there on Sunday. I remember that. That made an impression on me. And, and then before we'd go to bed at night, she'd say, let's pray together. I'm just pouring out to my, my heart to you tonight. Do something in your homes. And young people that don't have homes yet, make a decision now that that's what you're going to do. You're going to stem the tide of wickedness. You're going to do what you can to have Bible reading and prayer in the home. And sing in the home. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 and 3.15, Paul said to Timothy that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Out of such homes as Timothy's, there step forward today young men and women who become servants of the Lord. What do you want from your children? You want them to be the best baseball player in the world? You want them to go out to the Olympics and, Olympics and win the skiing contest and the snow contest and all those things? Those are good. Nothing wrong with them. But if that's all the goal you have for them, there's something way wrong. Who's going to see that we have missionaries and preachers in the years ahead if it isn't Christians in churches? Get your kids in touch with God and God's man. One of the dearest blessings I had in my early life was getting to know my pastor. When we got saved, my dad got mad at him, wouldn't speak to him for 10 years. But 10 years later, he mellowed and invited him into our home for a dinner. I'll never forget that. Get your kids in touch with the man of God. Do you remember the story about Moses and Joshua? Moses was God's man. He had several children. 
His children were not even interested. I don't know what happened at home, but they weren't even interested. But Joshua, the son of Nun, we don't know anything about Nun, but Joshua, the son of Nun, got as close to Moses as he could, and he went with Moses everywhere he went. And when it came time to die, God said, Moses, you put Joshua in charge. I can trust him. He learned from Moses. The family altar brings kids in, in touch with the Bible and prayer and the things of God, and they help to know, it helps them to know that mom and dad are serious about the things of the Lord. Well, let me go on. I'll be through sometime tonight. There are many references in the Bible to home. In 1 Samuel 1, 27, Hannah, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition. John Newton's mother prayed, even though she died when he was seven years old. He later was touched by God, and God made him a great preacher. He was the author of Amazing Grace. In Deuteronomy 24, 5, when a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home to love his wife and shall cheer her. Isn't that interesting? And in Mark 5, 19, go home and tell what great things God hath done for you. In John 19, 27, Jesus gave John the charge of his mother. 1 Timothy 5, 4, show pity at home. Let them learn first to show pity at home, for this is good and acceptable before God. In Titus 2, 5, the woman is to be the keeper at home. There are a lot of duties from dads. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, thou shalt show them, thou shalt uh, diligently charge thy children and shalt tell them uh, about the Lord uh, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou sittest up. In Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. On and on, the scripture says, there are important things that go on in the home. Now, someone has asked, what do you think are the problems that husbands and wives face at home that interrupt our enemies to the family altar. Well, I asked this one time from our people. I believe it was here. Maybe it was in a revival meeting. Anyway, I wrote down what they said. They said, for men, one of the big hindrances is football games. You let that sink in. I think they meant watching the football games at home. They were so involved in it, they didn't have time for family altar. Another was lack of communication. Another was money. Another was lack of discipline. Another quality family time. For the ladies, one of the big hindrances of shop was, was soap operas. I don't know whether you all get gobbled up by these soap operas. Some woman trying to divorce her husband so she can get somebody else. They go to all these court things. 
That's what people tell me. I haven't seen them. Money, nagging or complaining. <laughs> Does your wife ever nag you? Ever complain? Gossip. These are, these are things that are enemies to the family altar. Now, the, the whole thrust of this message tonight is to warn there's a day of Lord coming. God has given us a little reprieve. I want to encourage everybody in this room tonight to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to have family altar. No matter what age my children are, I'm going to start it. If I've never done it before, I'm going to do it. Either at the breakfast table or at the supper table or find a time and make that a severe appointment. You know, sometimes you get called out early. You get called out late. That's all well and good. If you have children at home, make an appointment with them. What is what is more important, your children or some appointment you have with somebody somewhere? You think about it. And so the thrust of the burden that the Lord has put on my heart about the family altar is it can be a retrieve. You will be training up your children the way they should go when they are old. They'll remember. Doesn't mean they won't ever depart from it. See, when that's scripture, some people misunderstand that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That means he won't depart from the teaching. It's there. He may not agree with it. He may not practice it, but it's there. That's where the conflict comes. He knows right from wrong. Some people do not know because they've never heard. They've never been trained. They've never been challenged. But when you train up a child in the way he should go, he will know. He may waver, but that knowledge, that impression is always there, and there'll be some sense of guilt. You know why a lot of people don't go to church? It reminds them of what they heard at home about the Lord, and they want to get away from it. But it's there. It's in their mind. They can't get away from it. It's there. Our mind is like a great computer. I understand you can erase things out of a computer, and yet the wise person that knows how to run a computer can even find things that have been erased. They're there. I don't understand the brains of a computer, nor do I understand our brains, but what we feed in stays. It's there. It's in the, either in the subconscious or it's there somewhere. And so when we give our boys and girls, our home, our husband, our wife, the godly influence of the Word of God in the home. God blesses. So I'm going to ask you to read the Bible, pray, sing, just have a good time at home, and God will bless you. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I've met people who tell me they don't like to sing. You know one of the main reasons they don't like to sing? They never sang at home. I know people that that can hardly carry a tune. They can learn it later, but they, they don't do it because they never did it at home. Home is the training place for the universe. It's the, it's the universal training center. And our homes, as go our homes, so will go our nation. As go our homes, so will go our church. As go our homes, so will go the world empires. Well, the answer is Jesus. I'm going to close, but I want to just mention this is not a tack on. The most important one in all of our lives is Jesus. He died on the cross 
to forgive our sins, to be our Savior. And when we go into a partnership with Him, He will encourage and bless us. Some in the church have the additional burden and problem of training your children alone. Uh, some wife came home and said, I don't love you anymore. Some husband came home and said, I don't love you anymore. And you have to deal with all that. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. And God will bless you and encourage you and strengthen you. And you can still stand strong. I told a lady the other day who was about to divorce her husband because he drank. I said, you don't need to divorce him. You need to have the strength to say you can't drink at home. If you're going to drink at home, go somewhere else and drink. You can't have it here. You say, how do you know that works? My personal experience. I saw it work. It'll work. But you have to have some spiritual guts, some spiritual fortitude, some strength, and you can only get it from God. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Well, I've been rambling for a little while, but these were on my heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God and the message of Zephaniah that warns us there's a, a great day coming, a day of the Lord. But God has given us a little retrieve right now. And here in America, we have that. Here in this church, we have it. Here, here in our city, we have it. And we pray that we'll take advantage of it and begin even tonight. Start having Bible and prayer in our homes and singing in our homes and gird ourselves for a world that hates God more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What are we singing? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Number 500. This is a great hymn. The word picture in this hymn is not that Jesus wants to pass you by. He's here. And what you're saying is, Lord, don't pass me by. You're going to talk to somebody else, but talk to me too. I need your message. And when God speaks to us, we'll know it. Let's sing and do what God tells you to do. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, I would encourage you to come to Christ. If you're willing to offer your life to serve the Lord in some special way, you ought to come. Do what God tells you to do while we sing.